0: Your life one story at a time. This is the Chicken Soup for the Soul Podcast with editor-in-chief Amy Newmark.
1: Hey everyone, it's Amy Newmark with Your Chicken Soup for the Soul. And today we have a special guest, Dr. Mark Golston, who is a psychiatrist, an executive coach, and a consultant to major organizations. He is the inventor and developer of the process called surgical empathy whereby using targeted and focused empathy, one is able to break through deeply into people and free them from internal, emotional, and psychological blocks that can impair their functioning, well-being, and satisfaction in life. Mark is also the author or co-author of nine books, including Just Listen and Get Out of Your Own Way. He's also the host of the My Wake Up Call podcast, and co-host of Hurt Less, Live More with J.J. and Dr. Mark on UK Health Radio. And he's the co-founder of the weekly series 90-Second Mentor on LinkedIn, and that captures bite-sized video nuggets of wisdom from thought leaders. Mark was a UCLA professor of psychiatry for over 25 years, and he is a former FBI and police hostage negotiation trainer. He's based in Los Angeles, but his impact is worldwide. Mark, thank you for coming on the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast.
0: Boy, you're triggering all my imposter syndrome buttons. Who was that person?
1: (laughs) You gotta get over that imposter syndrome. I know that you're awesome.
0: Thank you, thank you.
1: Well, I wanna thank you first for contributing to the 30th anniversary edition of the original Chicken Soup for the Soul book. You know, we, we wanted to update it for our 30th anniversary and, you know, have stories in it from today's thought leaders, not just thought leaders from, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. And your story is about something so simple and yet so powerful, a question that can change everything for people you know, and also for people you don't know. So let's talk about that really simple question that you talk about in your story.
0: Well, the simple question is, what made you smile today? And when you ask it of people, you have to care about the answer. Because if you're just doing it and you're not sincere, it won't work. And uh, what the story is about is, uh, I actually gave a TEDx talk on this, What, what I discovered uh, from a friend of mine, is he had a drug addict daughter and he didn't want to take her phone calls because she was always manipulative and he thought, I, I got to do something. So he started texting her every day at 5 p.m. saying, honey, it's it's dad. What made you smile today? And at first uh, she tried to manipulate him and uh, and he said, "No, no, 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 no more money. We've been down that path and he just kept doing it. And after a few months, She texted him back, what made me smile today was knowing that you would text me. And he started to cry because it was a breakthrough. And actually, a few months later, she was off drugs because she had always felt like she was a burden. But what she didn't realize is the burden was that she was manipulative and lying to her father. So he always had to keep his guard up, which he didn't like doing. And, and what we discovered is it's a very simple question and part of our mission, and we started it before the pandemic and we're going to revive it, we started a movement called WMYST, which stands for What Made You Smile Today, and the idea is that when someone serves you, often uh, it could be a, a TSA agent, it could be someone at the gate in an airport, it could be a cashier, it could be a waiter, a waitress, often they have a name tag, but they're faceless. They're, they serve a function and often they're treated like functions, often by impatient customers and patrons. So the way it works is next time someone helps you in any of these areas, look at their name tag and then you say, hi, Judy. Thank you. My name's Mark. I have a question for you. No, 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 no. You didn't get in any trouble. Don't worry about it. And they look at you and you look into their eyes and you say, what made you smile today? And what will often happen is they'll pause, they'll look up at the ceiling, and they'll think of what made them smile. And when they come down to you, you'll see a sparkle in their eyes. And they'll say, my puppy, my my baby, my grandchild. I actually did this a couple weeks ago when we turned in a car, and there was a, a wonderful woman named Maria helping me. And and at the end, I said, Maria, thank you. I have a question for you. And she said, what? I said, what made you smile today? And she paused. She looked at me and she said, I've been having a bad couple of days and every break I go into the bathroom and I start to cry. And I called my dad and my grandpa. And this morning, 15 minutes later, they both showed up.
1: Oh, wow. That's amazing.
0: Oh, oh wow. It's right. I mean, her eyes just overflowed with delight, appreciation. And and I teared up too. And by the way, one of the reasons this works, I am a psychiatrist, is you're giving a cortisol-stressed-out world an oxytocin break. So oxytocin, emotional connection, breaks through to high cortisol. If you look it up, cortisol-oxytocin, oxytocin, emotional connection, lowers stress. And I hate to say it, but oxytocin is becoming an increasingly short supply because it requires patience. It requires letting go of your agenda to care about the other person, really care about them, care about how they're feeling. And the world is in such a rush uh, and so impatient, it kind of loses out.
1: So when you said those two people showed up for her to help her on her bad day, I got a little feeling of pleasure from that. And so this question that you ask people it makes the recipient feel much better, allows them to focus on something that's good in the middle of what could be a really bad day. But it also works for the person asking the question.
0: You know, absolutely. You know, you mentioned this thing about surgical empathy that I, uh, that I developed. Years ago, I used to, in my psychotherapy practice, I would often uh, see depressed patients, and when i drill down what's really going on, a number of them would say, Well, if you must know, I don't think I deserve to be happy because all I care about is myself. I'm totally self-absorbed, and and maybe someone like me doesn't deserve to be happy. So what I would do is I would give them the healthy snacks, and I'd say, when you see a homeless person every day, which unfortunately you do in Los Angeles, I want you to go up to them. Don't scare them. Have the healthy snack in your outstretched hand. Approach them identify yourself, hi, my name's Mark, what's yours? And, you know, homeless people have names. A lot of times they're treated as if they don't have anything. And then your hand is out there, so you're not threatening them, and you give them the snack, and you say, uh, I hope this helps. Just hang in there. And when these patients would come in a week later, I'd say, how did it work? And they would look down, and in a, in a begrudging voice, they'd say, it helped. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I, I know that's a tool, right? I mean, I understand that mental health therapists, psychiatrists, psychologists will take people who are really down on themselves and actually prescribe. You're going to go and do some volunteer work, mm-hmm. and it makes people uh, yeah. feel like they have value again. And I know even if you just hold a door open for someone, you get that quick little boost, and you feel good. You you get that warm feeling for a few minutes after you've done. Some minor little thing like holding the door open for someone.
0: Well, because you've taken someone with a name tag, went with the examples I gave, and you've you've converted them temporarily from a nobody or an anybody into a somebody. Right. And we have an epidemic in the world of people feeling like they're anybodys or worse, nobodies. And when you take the moment, a moment to notice them, and by the way, we like the. What made you smile today? Approach because when you use the word gratitude, it's too heavy handed. When you say to someone, What are you grateful for? they're likely to say, Oh, you don't think I'm grateful enough? (laughs) You know, it feels like you're scolding them. But when you just go in and out quickly, Hey, what made you smile today? It's a quick fix and a mini quick heal to what's wrong in the world.
1: Yeah, and I can see how asking them that question can be the gateway to a larger discussion of gratitude. But this this gets them started. If they're just thinking about what made them smile today, you know how people talk about a gratitude journal, writing down one good thing a day, three good things a day. Well, this is like that one good thing a day. What made you smile today?
0: Absolutely. Uh, I was actually speaking to someone. I, I'm in my 70s, and we were talking about getting older. and uh, And I said, you know, one of the best ways to deal with getting older, probably works better when you're 80, is to look at yourself through the eyes of your future, and see what you still have, and appreciate it, as opposed to focusing on what you've lost. I remember many years ago, I saw a couple of women uh, separately. They were in their late 80s, and the first one who came in, she was a little bit vain. Uh, and she was bemoaning that she would have to get her rings resized because of the arthritis in her hands. And, you know, and I did my best to be compassionate, you know, because you're non judgmental as a therapist. It was a stretch, I must tell you. And then a little bit later, another woman came in, same age, with crippling arthritis. She was bent over, walking slowly with a cane. She looked like the witch in the Disney movie Snow White, you know, just bent over, but she had a huge smile. And the contrast was just amazing. And I said to her, what are you smiling about? And she said, I was just thinking how great this cane's going to look in five years when I'm in a wheelchair.
1: (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really great. Oh, we're going to take a quick break for an ad, and then we're going to be back. And we're going to keep talking about how you can increase the happiness and well-being in your life. We're back with Dr. Mark Golston. Mark, you say you have another tip for increasing happiness and peace of mind in people. So what might that be?
0: Well, years back, I used to give talks and I would do this exercise and I would say to the audience, if I wrote down one word on a piece of paper and I shared it with you and you would pass it to the person next to you, if you agreed with it, and I tell you, it's the secret to happiness and peace of mind. If you agreed with it, would you commit to putting it into practice in your life? And if you disagree with it, that's fine too, and just pass it to the person next to you. So I wrote down this word, and I passed it to the person on the far left of the front row. And, and again, they're all looking for riches, you know, love, all this stuff— and one by one, they were like dominoes falling. They'd open the piece of paper, they would read it, they'd sigh, and they'd pass it to the person next to them. And the sigh was a yes. And the word was forgiveness. And I collect quotes, and there was one quote that knocked all the other quotes off the table when I heard it from Dr. Shawnee Duperon who with Archbishop Desmond Tutu founded Project Forgive. It was nominated for a Nobel uh, Peace Prize. It didn't win it, but it was nominated some years ago. And she shared this quote that just blew me away. I had to pull over to take it all in. And she said, here's the tip. Forgiveness is accepting the apology you will never receive.
1: That's a very good way of looking at it. You know what's interesting is that in... My, you know, self-help practice, I'm often asked, what are the most important keys to happiness? And I always say the two most important keys to happiness are gratitude and forgiveness and what serendipity. These are the two topics that you and I are discussing today.
0: And I couldn't agree with you more. I think forgiveness may be the thing you need to do in order to feel gratitude. Because if you have an unforgiving nature, it's really difficult to find the gratitude. And it is so wonderful to be able to forgive. When I heard that quote, I imagined my father, who had died in 1995, apologizing to me for some of the comments that he would say that were a little bit diminishing. Like if I brought something up because I'm a little bit of a creative, he might say, what does that have to do with anything? What makes you think you know anything? And it was very dismissive. And then I pulled the car over. And this is the apology I imagine him giving me. And he would give this to me from where he was and from the loving dad he was inside the critical dad. Remember when I used to say, uh, what does this have to do with anything? I was talking about myself. I'm good with numbers, but I wasn't that good with getting close to people. And I think I shortchanged your brothers and you and especially your mom. And what you've done with your life and some of the lives you've touched, some of the lives you've saved, I don't deserve you as my son, and I'm proud of you, and I'm sorry. And I started to tear up, and then I realized there was another part to this. I had to apologize to him. So in my mind's eye, I said, you know, I owe you an apology because I think I've had a chip on my shoulder for a while, and you did the best you could. You know, you you could be difficult, but, you know, you, you weren't an alcoholic. You, you didn't really beat us uh, physically. And you were worried about whether you could support us. And I should have known better. I'm a psychiatrist, but I didn't. And I want to apologize. I'm sorry. And I can finally say the six words, I guess, that I've wanted to say, but couldn't. I love you, and I miss you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's really interesting what I have learned so much about forgiveness from reading tens of thousands of Chicken Soup for the Soul stories, and it's really changed my view of it. And, you know, I didn't realize this, you probably know this, but I looked up the definition of forgiveness because I thought it meant you were saying to that other person, or thinking at least, if you weren't saying it out loud to the other person, but you were saying, oh, it's okay, it wasn't that bad, you know, like, shrugging it off. But it turns out forgiveness just means that you have decided to stop reacting emotionally over and over again to whatever that thing was that was done to you. Forgiveness is really drawing a line in the sand and saying, I'm not going to let that event or that person control my emotions anymore. I'm just going to stop reacting. I will know intellectually that that thing happened, but I will no longer react to it. And so I started adopting that as my way of looking at things. And then I moved one step farther down the road, and I decided to start using pre-forgiveness. So if somebody is doing something, I just forgive them as it's happening. So I never have to even experience any minutes, days, hours of feeling that resentment or that disappointment. So so now I go around using pre-forgiveness.
0: Well, I'll I'll share something with you that would add to that in terms of how to forgive ourselves, because there's something called a Jungian shadow. That's the dark side of our personality. It's the part of our personality that we don't want to admit to the world and we don't want to admit to ourselves because it makes us feel ashamed. And, uh, you know, I've been a therapist for 40 plus years, and everybody has a dark side to their personality. And What a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to push away, and it's inevitable that when you're young or you're traumatized, you feel hurt, then you feel fear that you could be hurt again and really injured, then you feel angry, and then you feel rage. And a lot of times, being aware that we feel rage can cause us to feel, I'm not a good person. You know, good people don't have rage. And what I'm sharing is that it's inevitable that if you have felt hurt and injured and afraid that you could be re-injured, we cover it with anger. You know, a, a wounded animal is afraid the next wound's going to kill them. And a wounded animal is one of the most vicious animals around because they're afraid of what will come next. And that's true for human beings. So what one of the things that I've learned is that if you can allow yourself to be aware of the dark parts of your personality that as long as you don't act on them, you're good to go. It's okay to have jealousy, self-pity, a chip on your shoulder, all of those things, because when certain events and traumas happen, they pick up speed till they go to hurt, fear, anger, resentment, rage. And, and we we collect those. And as long as you realize that that's part of human nature and you don't act on it, you know, you can cut yourself some slack.
1: I guess it's your first emotion you need to excuse because it's a natural human response and what you can actually control is what you do next.
0: That's exactly true. In fact, I'll share something with you. This is a a little value added. I've been working with veterans and we came up with a simplified definition of mental health And then we have them form squadrons to be supportive, and they check in with each other every day. And the definition that we've come up for mental health and emotional well-being is your ability to modify your immediate reaction to anything life throws at you so that your eventual response in your head and mind and in life is constructive. And so we form these support groups with uh, veterans and they talk about what triggered them that day. And then they share, oh, I got triggered and someone cut me off. But instead of road rage, I I decided to wave them on. I decided to think of, geez, maybe they're having a bad day. They didn't mean to cut me off. And we found that really useful uh, because here's something else that I think chicken soup for the soul is the master of. I recently watched a documentary called Mr. Rogers and Me, and it's not any of the famous documentaries with Tom Hanks and whatever. And one of the things he was talking about is it's better to be deep and simple than shallow and complex. And I think Chicken Soup for the Soul as a brand is incredibly deep and simple because it it gets to and from the souls of readers and from the souls of contributors as opposed to being overly complex where people smile, can't remember it, and think they're stupid for not being able to remember it.
1: Well, I appreciate you saying that, especially since, you know, we're celebrating our 30th anniversary. And it's really nice of you to say nice things about chicken soup. It's all, I mean, I believe it's incredibly effective, all of these stories. And I know you as a psychiatrist use stories to help people improve their lives. So. We're both out there using storytelling, true stories, in order to improve other people's lives. So, Mark, thank you so much for your story in the book and for joining us today on the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast.
0: Well, thank you, Amy. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. You always make me smile.
1: Oh, well, that's really nice. And everybody out there, thank you so much for listening today, and please join me next time for a couple of stories about how it's never too late for love from our very fun summer beach read, Chicken Soup for the Soul, All You Need Is Love.